if you don't believe you have a problem to begin with, it's a pretty tall order to convince somebody that they need to give you money for that product. Yeah, uh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. Good morning, noon, and night. My name is Ryan. I'm the producer of the Building Great Sales Teams podcast, and I just wanted to give you a quick overview of our guest today, Jonathan Hensley. He is the CEO and Chief Product Officer at Emerge, which is a digital project agency. Emerge executes digital product transformation for technology companies seeking to improve their customer experience and operational agility. Jonathan also provides expertise and over two decades of experience in the following leadership, culture, and performance, digital transformation, product innovation, product strategy, customer experience, slash product design, slash product experience, and product development. We are super excited to have him on the show. So let's just jump right into the conversation. So in your opinion, Jonathan, you know, besides not putting out that value upfront in marketing or through the customer journey all the way to the actual transaction, why do a lot of digital products fail or underperform? What are some other reasons you think? Yeah, well, this is something that, you know, I spend an incredible amount of time in and was actually, actually end up the reason I wrote the book alignment is because it started with the idea of researching why does product failure happen so often? And what Mm -hmm. are some of the common reasons that it happens? And most commonly it's, you know, the issue around product failures is talked about as a lack of product market fit. And, And that's true, but there's underlying root causes that are deeper that I think within an organization that lead to that, uh, to that problem where you never find fit. And so fundamentally one is, is a lot of times, especially in early stage or small, you know, uh, businesses, we start off as subject matter experts. We're passionate about an area that we work in. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a lot of experience, you know, potentially, uh, we've worked with, you know, our, our ideal client maybe for many years in different capacities. And so we feel like we really understand their needs and their problems. Um, especially as we're scaling, we start to get further and further removed from these clients. And I think it's really mission critical that you ha- make sure you understand their needs and their perceptions from their point of view. And you don't introduce your own biases into the process. Because whether or not you're right or wrong, there needs to be a feedback loop and a way to engage the customer genuinely. And that insight is so critical. And when it's missing, more often than not, you'll see product failure. And that insight's not only critical for the product, but it's critical for your branding, your marketing, your sales collateral, and everything that you're doing. And so these are kind of fundamentals that uh, aren't really discussed very often about how critical they are cross-functionally in your business, mm-hmm. even if you're only a five to 10 person team. And so that's that's really uh, one really good example. I think another one when it comes to technology specifically is the technology is sold 
with a lot of expectations of how easy it is to use and how powerful it is. And quite candidly, it's grossly misrepresented of the complexity behind that technology and what's going to be essential to utilizing it to be successful. Mm-hmm. So when you think of, you know, uh, like a marketing automation tool as uh, a really good example, there is an incredibly complex piece of software operating there in order to do all the things that you want it to do. And you don't just have to be an expert in that software. You have to be an expert in how you're going to message to your audience and how you're going to build that audience and how you're going to create engagement with that audience. And, you know, there's so many components to enabling that software. And it's really the human part of things. You know, the technology is just that it's a tool. So if you learn how to use that tool as an expert, you're going to ha- you can have potentially phenomenal success. But, you know, if you handed me a weld welding machine, I wouldn't know what to do with it. It's it's right. a, it's basically a giant, you know, paperweight. So same difference with software. And we have to approach it with that understanding that there's a path to building that success when we think about adopting technology that's really important. Um, There's a bunch of other core reasons, but there's one other in particular, Doug, that I think is really worth highlighting, which is um, when you start to move into software, especially if if you're not a digitally native company, meaning your entire organization is built around delivering a digital product or service, it really requires you to build a new set of skills to manage and deliver technology. You have to, as a leader, not only be a phenomenal leader and manager, but you have to be understand design. You have to understand now engineering. You have to understand the infrastructure uh, that has to support that software. And um, all at the same time of all of the other traditional functions of a business. Mm. And that there's a lot of complexity to that. And it's uh, something that's, I think, just starting to make its way out of the tech sector into businesses at large, where they understand leaders have a new set of skills that they have to master in order to be competent at what they're doing. Uh, I couldn't agree more. So just to kind of walk through a couple of those things, the the first thing that you talked about is that feedback loop and and taking those insights. And uh, so is it so much that you're altering the product to support the feedback or is it more, you know, if you get that feedback consistently over time, you're making changes within the, the, the product delivery or the suite of services that it offers or the um, integrations? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, one piece of feedback may just be one person's perspective or one team's perspective. And you have to be very careful of that. That's actually a pitfall that a lot of companies fall into. Their biggest customer asks for something yeah, and they jump right into it or they assume that all of their customers then would benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's often not the case. So it really does go back to this idea of value. Um, and when we're thinking about how we, you know, our products are improved and evolved, we have to stay true to, you know, what are we trying to achieve with this product and what is the value that we are trying to create, amplify and reinforce. And mm-hmm. so anything that makes it into your product backlog uh, where to that you're going to make a decision to produce needs to be adding to that. If you start to, uh, you know, add things that start to, you know, veer in different directions, a lot of times you start to have frustration because you feel like the product is too cumbersome. 
Right. It's not easy to do the things that you wanted to do anymore. It's confusing. Uh, it maybe it feels fragmented. All of a sudden, you're in one you know web browser and it kicks you over to another and it looks a little bit different. And you're like, what just happened? Why why is that happening? Yeah. And so all of these things can take place that actually all of a sudden, uh, you know, one term for it is called product rot. It, it's basically devaluing at the end of the day, the product and mm -hmm. now make it more difficult to actually drive the conversion and retention of your customer. And so that's one of the skills that, you know, quite candidly leaders have to develop. It's like a muscle. You just, you have to, you have to use it. You have to work through that prioritization and there's, uh, the best way to implement it is to, you know, look at, are these, is this a true benefit to all of our customers? Or is this mm -hmm. something that, you know, maybe is we've got some really good feedback. We think we have a way that we can solve this that's unique and different that will create, you know, maybe a competitive advantage. Let's go test it. Now, how do we test it? How do we test that without introducing it to our entire product? Maybe okay. there's a handful of customers or users that can give us some early feedback that will really help us know, you know, the impact it could have on our on our business, as well as improving the overall customer experience and how they value the product that we're you know providing. And so that's that's a balancing act that is really understanding the psychology of the customer as much as it is the functional needs of them. I love what you said about checking it against the value, though. the value you created the product for in the first place, the value you advertise to the customer on the front end. Right. If you're executing, like you mentioned, as well as uh, making sure, okay, when we make these changes, if it is a, a client-wide issue, that we're not we're not sacrificing that value in the first place, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think uh, another opportunity that it creates too is if if it is sacrificing value, or if it is a fragmented section of customers, well, maybe that's an add-on, you know, that they are allowed to select as an option, you know, and it doesn't have to be part of the whole service as a whole. And then that's also a, another area for, you know, maybe some additional MRR. So just thinking in a business sense there. So, yeah, well, and on that note, I think there's a, you know, you're actually tapping into a theme here that I think is, is really important that a lot of businesses don't have in place, which is what's your service recovery strategy. So if you have an upset customer, you know, it's like, oh, give us a call. We'll help you. Or, you know, do you need though to implement self-service? I know, I mean, most people like the opportunity, you know, to be empowered, especially on the consumer side versus the B2B side, but especially uh, there um, to be able to solve the problem for themselves quickly and efficiently. They don't want to have to wait, you know, days or, you know, or go back and forth on email or phone calls. Yeah. Um, those are, those are huge. Or the opportunity of when there is a service, you know, failure, if it's, if it's something that, you know, within your offering is, you know, uh, potentially predictable, then what's the path for that recovery? You know, and oftentimes, like, for example, uh, for healthcare, uh, you know, it's like um, something as simple as your physician needing to reschedule or them being late. Well, it happens all the time, but it's a huge pain for you as the patient, especially mm -hmm. if you have kids or you're maybe help caring for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we found through some of our work with uh, different doctors and different hospital groups, just the acknowledgement of the impact was enough for them to stick it out. And that, that's all it took of the recovery. Mm -hmm. Just just that, just as simple as saying, we're really sorry. We know this is inconvenience. 
and you know we're we're going to do our best you know we're behind you know because we're caring for others right now mm -hmm. we're you know and that acknowledgement just pays huge dividends um, mm -hmm. that's, that's completely lost revenue for a healthcare system. If people choose to walk out the door or go somewhere else, especially yeah. in a market where a lot of healthcare services are just that they're discretionary, um, mm -hmm. you know, and so we're specifically talking about discretionary healthcare, not emergency services, but right. you know, it's applicable to any business quite candidly. What's, what's your recovery policy? Because a lot of times those can turn into, you know, long-term, um, sales opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the, the word tracks that I like is, uh, you know, we know your time is valuable, you know, and right away putting them in that state where, hey, I respect your time. And then you go into the recovery process, I guess you could say after that. So one of the things that we've talked about a lot so far in the conversation is value, right, and values. And so when you look at you, you have 20 leaders in your business, roughly product leaders in your business, you got another 50 project-based team members, how are you managed, managing to move everyone in the same direction? And then how do you maintain quality through all that, right? You know, the beautiful thing is everybody is very open to this type of work, right? Whether it be project-based to 99, um, remote, right? But in my mind, because I've always had very direct sales teams, you know, direct sales, door-to-door, B2B, right? And I've been able to see them every day and pour into them and all that as you as you create these uh i guess separations like 1099 versus w2 or project based versus 1099 you lose maybe some of the quality or the company values or whatever the case how are you managing to keep everybody on the same bus moving in the same direction well there's a couple of you know i think uh core things that businesses have to do to be successful at that and um this is by no means anything that I, you know, created or that I found the magic, you know, secret sauce. This is, this is, um, you know, trying to learn from, from great leaders, um, across industries, quite candidly. One of the, the fundamental things that I think is really important, whether it's the vision for your company or it's a vision for your product or a specific initiative, something you're investing into is that when you're any team needs to have clear line of sight of what the intended outcome is. And so it's really, really important that everybody on the team has a shared understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, at Emerge, what we really focus on is what's the, what's that look like? What does success look like specific to this, uh, you know, initiative or this, this project or product that we're working on? And is it, is it clear? Uh, does it bring focus to our decision-making our intention? And is it measurable? And that makes up kind of the, at its core, the anatomy of a great vision. And so we have a team of problem solvers. I don't need to tell them how to solve the problem. They're incredibly smart. I can't do what they do. I'm not, a, you know, I can't be an engineer and a designer and a strategist and a CEO. It's, that's not possible. Um, and some of those things I would be horrible at anyhow. Uh, you know, they're way outside of my skill set. But if I can help them understand what success looks like, then they can take their skills and their expertise and, ex and experience and they can present, you know, solutions to the problem uh, collectively. 
And so that's really one of the, the foundational pieces there that is so important is getting that right. And I think that often what I see uh, and when I interview uh, leaders, um, honestly, all over the world, even at, even at companies that are doing you know 50 billion or more in revenue, what you see is that that step is skipped or it's delegated. And leaders are, and especially owners of businesses and smaller teams have that, that's their, that's a responsibility that they have. And that has to be, there has to be that accountability. And if you're unclear about the goal, then you need to, it's your responsibility to ask your leaders to, to, to provide that clarity because you're not set up for success. And you can't control then those other variables and those other things. And you need to focus on what you can control, which is your contribution. But that has to be super clear. And so we talk a lot about that in Emerge. Mm -hmm. um, we talk a lot about that with our clients, about that responsibility and that accountability, uh, because they understand that that alignment um, and understanding that, that intended goal is um, absolutely the foundational aspect of success in anything that we do. Um, it also sets up a, a better collaborative space. And so this is another thing that we run into a lot and that we really focus on is once that's established, I mentioned the shared understanding. Well, part of that comes from building a common language. And so I'll give an example of that. You know, we were working with a customer and, and you know, they're in the manufacturing space. And I asked them very specifically, who's your customer? And across all the different executive stakeholders in, in that uh, particular project, I got nine different answers. Yep. Okay. So that's pretty difficult for an organization if the leaders have nine different definitions of who their core customer is. It's very problematic. So then think about the collaboration. You're in a conversation in a room with a team and somebody says, yeah, we got to do this for the customer. Which customer? How do we define that customer? Is that customer success different than another customer success? Is the value that they need to you know, receive different than another val you know, customer's value? What does that mean? And so you can see this if there's misalignment in your organization very, very quickly. How many extra meetings are you having? And how often are you reworking your work? That shouldn't have to happen it should be iterative. So you should always be, you know, hopefully, ideally making incremental and continuous progress. But if you're starting over, mm -hmm. you fundamentally had a disconnect there. There was misalignment taking place either. And you didn't know the intended outcome because it wasn't clear. And so expectations were missed and people are frustrated or you're reworking it because you, you haven't figured out, you know, uh, what, what you need to do collectively in, in the most efficient and effective way. So we really focus on those two things as kind of pillars of how we maintain alignment with, you know, our core team and all of our external partners and, and the people that we work with. Because if we can do those two things really well, then we get to focus on specifically tapping into their skill sets and their passion areas and how they can contribute. And then we're very clear on what's their responsibility and role within that contribution. What are we asking them to, to do? And in product, what we see is creating a safe environment for collaboration and those really honest conversations where you can get what we like to do is model the product trio idea, which is having a product manager, a design lead and an engineering lead working together. 
now you're bringing all the disciplines together and points of view to solve a problem. And that's incredibly powerfully effective. And so giving them that foundation allows them to really work together and do incredible things. And so that's how we orient all of our work, including doesn't mean just product. And we do the same thing with everything in the organization, right? If you're trying to set sales goals, you're trying to think about where you're going to put your marketing, you know, initiatives, it's that same intention. Well, what are we trying to achieve? You know, and I'll, I'll put one other thing out there with that, that, that works for us. And we see works for a lot of our clients. So, you know, anybody listening to this, you know, think about what's appropriate for you, but a lot of times goals are, you know, put out there as strategy goals, aren't strategy. Mm-hmm. Planning's not strategy. So when you think about like setting targets, make sure that these kinds of targets are framed correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, if your ultimate goal or, or you're framing something around, you know, revenue. Okay, great. But what is that really, how does anybody benefit or understand the impact that they're making? How does that bring meaning to their work? Instead, right. I'd like to know, like, what do I have to do for customers to get to that revenue? So if I can serve 10,000 customers and that's going to be the requirement to get to that revenue goal, I don't care about the revenue. I care about serving the 10,000 customers because that's the leading indicator that we're going to hit our revenue goals and we're going to be a successful, thriving company that is competitively very difficult uh, to to break into or dislodge. So Mm -hmm. I much rather focus on the customer centric metrics, those North stars that help drive the, the through line of everything I just talked about cohesively for teams to be able to execute autonomously. So, you know, two, two themes we're hearing a lot now is value, right? Whether it be the value of the product or the, the value of having a clear line of sight, right? And then the alignment piece, I think, is massive. And, and one of the things you said, you know, I, I immediately started shaking my head because that's one of my biggest issues with, with my clients when I'm consulting for building out their sales programs is the language is different for each of them. What a customer is, you know, defining that is different for each of them. The avatar that they're going after is different for each of them. Some of them like the customers that are higher maintenance, but, you know, higher ticket item. Some of them like the customers that are middle of the road and then the ones that are lower maintenance and they don't really know what their company is servicing. So that uh, alignment piece is, is, is massive and coming in and basically building out a sales program and focusing on, Hey, this is the type of customer we're after and that we can scale. Right. And then uh, the last, the last piece that you said, I think is massive, right? Cause we set targets all the time in sales, but the way, I guess the, language we use for that target is incredibly important. Like how many customers am I serving versus the revenue goal, right? You have an average revenue per customer, you know what that is, and that's what you're going to base how many customers you get on. But I like that you're saying customers served instead of, you know, oh, you know, I'm in solar. So I just had a, a million dollar month, you know, which means everything to somebody that, you know, is just putting the, those numbers out there to market for recruiting. But that doesn't mean anything to a customer. That doesn't mean anything to, honestly, the individual uh, sales reps that wants to serve people, right? And that aligns with your value of service. And so if if the goal is, you know, instead of a, 
a million dollar gross, it's, you know, I served 10 customers this month. You know, one, your future customers will relate to that. Like, wow, you service 10 customers and they're all happy or you have a 95% satisfaction rate, whatever the case is. That's going to be a lot better in terms of marketing and advertising than just saying, oh, I installed a million dollars worth of solar this month. That's not going to mean anything to a customer. That could be one right. client. That could be 10. They don't know. So yeah. it's it's also really powerful. Um, and I think what I what I see anyhow, and you probably have way more uh, insight to this than I do, Doug, is that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I see a lot of companies moving towards understanding that you know, revenue um, is, you know, really determined by, you know, the effectiveness of your entire team. You know, sometimes that revenue traditionally has really fallen on sales or it's a combination of, you know, what's happening uh, from the, the marketing side and the sales side. And then, you know, the product and the rest of the business is trying to control cost. All, all important things. Those all, all of those things are have to happen. Uh, you know, but I think when you think of revenue in the way you're describing it, you know, and, and we're talking about here, then you realize that, okay, so, you know, there's the sales person's role in capturing that revenue. And then so is the installation team. If they're installing solar panels, so is, you know, the customer service team that follows up. They, they all actually have a metric that ties to serving the customer yeah. that enabled that revenue and protecting that revenue and keeping, you know, that customer, somebody who will, you know, have a repeat purchase with you. Yeah. Right. So the, those types of that through line of alignment at the individual team and organizational level, which, uh, you know, are, are all mission critical. And I think that that's one of, uh, the biggest opportunities that I see uh, when um, you can have sales uh, be able to collaborate the most effectively cross-functionally. Agree more. So with Emerge and what you guys are are building out there, what's next for you guys? What are you guys ex excited about right now? Well, right now we're we're really excited about you know there is such a. a and a surge of opportunity, as we discussed at the beginning of this around, you know, SaaS and where a lot of businesses are, are moving towards. And, you know, we're really excited to be taking some of the enterprise, you know, large scale stuff that we've done for the last two decades. And we've been distilling that down um, in collaboration with partners so we can bring those core learnings to small businesses and, you know, mid-stage companies to help them grow and scale so they can, you know, navigate the complexity of, of developing these products and services um, and getting them to market quickly um, and effectively. And so that's been really something that, that we've been really excited about. There's, you know, years and years of incredible data practice and, you know, uh, that has been developed. Um, at scale now and um, making that accessible for uh, small businesses, I think is is one of the is the next big opportunity uh, here in um, in digital product. And so that that's really where we're focused right now is how we can support those founders and those growing teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I come across it all the time where they basically have an idea for a software or a digital product and uh, because it comes from their industry. 
you know, and they, they solve it, but, you know, solving the problem and selling that solution is two completely different things, you know? So that education, I think is going to be massive, especially like you said, at the startup or the, the founder level. Yeah. Just one of the, one of the things I have the most fun doing personally is just digging into the, the problem space. Like what's the problem they're solving for the customer mm -hmm. and really starting to look at how would that be approached in solving, uh, you know, as a product or service offering. And it's really fun to do that, to get into the value conversation, to get into helping a team who's embracing this. Maybe they have one or two people who are going to be dedicated to this process, you know, at the mm -hmm. early onset to really start to understand all the facets that they get to tackle mm -hmm. and take them from maybe being overwhelmed or trying to figure out how to do it to yeah. a place of, you know, clarity, focus, and moving, you know, confidently forward through the steps to bring that product to market. Um, it's, it's something that I, um, I never get enough of. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I can't imagine doing anything else for the next 20. No, that's fantastic. I mean, if someone's listening and they have something like that in mind, you know, obviously y'all have what you guys charge, but are y'all open to, you know, like for instance, if, if somebody wants to bring me on as like a CSO, and we're looking at maybe a ref share deal or equity deal. Is that something that, that y'all play in or is it mainly just uh, fee based? We don't do uh, rev share deals mm -hmm. at Emerge, but what we, you know, will do is instead of engaging us in a larger project, we will act as like a, a product, um, you know, uh, mentor, if you will, or product coach to actually help okay. you, you know, flush out your idea. Um, this is a way to keep, you know, your costs, you know, super low, uh, mm -hmm. get a lot of expertise and insights into what you're tackling, make sure it's an investment you want to make. Software is a big investment. Uh, it's something that really has to be thought through. Yeah. Uh, it's something that's a, a continuous investment. It's not a one-time investment that you're making. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, helping them understand the, the mechanics of that, uh, helping them, you know, flush out the scope of the opportunity. Uh, and talk about how they validate that as that and maybe approach that uh, in the right way for them, you know, is a role that that we love to take on. And uh, if anybody listening would like to have that conversation, you know, uh, I'm more than happy to to take that time with them. Fantastic. I think that's a that's an amazing offer there. And uh, if you guys are interested in that, you can look at the show notes here. We've got uh, Jonathan's LinkedIn profile there and you can shoot him a message over on LinkedIn. All right. Last question, brother, and this one kind of pivots a little bit, but it kind of gives us insight to all of our guests, and we ask it uh, at the end of the podcast for every one of our guests. So what does legacy mean to you, and what legacy do you want to leave behind? And when you first said legacy, I started thinking legacy software, so that's the nerd <laughs> in me. Um, but uh, the legacy, you know, for me is at this stage in my career, you know, I, my biggest thing is I love building things. That's why I got into this industry and it's why I like working with, with companies. And it's one of the reasons why we're so excited to be working with uh, some of these, you know, really thoughtful, you know, small and mid-stage uh, size companies. Um, you know, for me, uh, I have a personal goal right now is that we would like to change, you know, the way that 10 million people live and work through software. Wow. And so that is really, uh, 
you know, I'm trying to, you know, walk my talk when I say, you know, put the customer metric there, have mm -hmm. your intention there. Um, there's a lot of great software out there. There's a lot of bad software out there. Um, but the people behind that software, it's their vision. It's their vision. It's their, it's their livelihood and helping them succeed and serve those, uh, those customers, um, those people that need their product. Um, is is something that uh, personally is a legacy that I'm really committed to because um, I think it it's not just about building those products. What you're helping do is when I sit down with those teams, I see that, you know, the product manager who's paying the mortgage and supporting their family. Mm -hmm. I see the designers who are, you know, rethinking and really thoughtful about tough questions about how do I make things more intuitive or clean? And I think that, you know, when you work with problem solvers for a living, um, it's a, it's an opportunity. Uh, it's a great service to support them and helping them do what they do best. And so that's, that's what I'm focused on. I love it. And I love that it has a metric tied to it. You know, that that's really the nerd in you coming out there, but <laughs> I, I, the nerd in me appreciates it. So Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us your insights. Uh, I feel like you've delivered a ton of value, so I couldn't be more grateful for that. And uh, if you guys want to reach out to Jonathan, like I said, the his link will be there in the show notes and you can reach out to him directly. Thanks again, brother. Thanks so much, Doug. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community. Head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.